Okay, so welcome to part two of Chase the Lion, Fighting for the Dream. And if you'll forgive me, I have to have this music stand pulled up a little bit because at my ripe old age, the reading and the far side, near side, it, it just, the glasses, it's, it's pretty sad, actually. <laughs> but my glasses weren't ready for this week, my new updated glasses. So back around the 20th, the turn of the 20th century, Alfred Adler, a psychologist, began to study what is known as the theory, the intuitive theory of compensation. So you say, okay, what is that? Well, what he discovered as he began to study people, particularly artists, he realized that some of the most successful artists had optical anomalies. And then he began to study some of the world's greatest composers, and he realized that they had imperfections, actually, and some, some degenerative traces in their ears. And he went on and he studied many, many examples of this in many, many different vocations. So let me just share one with you this morning that's a more modern one that uh, is in the, in the life of John Irving. Now, John Irving was a writer, and he was one of the most uh, well-known and best authors and writers of his generation. He... Um, his book, The World According to Garp, won a national award in his screenplay, The Cider House Rules, won an Academy Award. Pretty impressive. And here's the thing. John earned a C- minus in high school English. <laughs> it took him five years to graduate high school and check this, he got on his SAT verbal score a whopping 475 out of 800. Now, folks, that means a little more than two-thirds of us in this room scored higher on the verbal SAT than John Irving. So I have a question for you. Where's your Academy Award? Right? How is it that somebody like John Irving could go on and earn an Academy Award? His teachers thought he was stupid and lazy. Wow, were they wrong? The reality is, John Irving was dyslexic. But because of that disadvantage, that is what propelled him. That is what gave him the drive. What his classmates could not do in an hour, or what his classmates could do in an hour, took him two or three hours to do. He had to work harder. He had to be more committed to succeeding. And so he compensated with that work ethic. 
And that's what Adler was talking about. He had an intuitive ability to compensate for what he perceived was his disadvantage. And perhaps that's why he has the Academy Award and we don't. We're kind of just squirrels looking for nuts. And he's out earning Academy Awards. So I wonder sometimes if we are not perceiving what we may think is a disadvantage, but really might be an advantage. You have talents, skills, abilities, gifts that you're probably not fully aware of because they are often buried beneath these perceived disadvantages. And in those disadvantages, your dreams are playing hide-and-seek. Now you may ask, what does that have to do with 2 Samuel 23, which is what this series is all about? And uh, we're going we're gonna to dig in a little bit on 2 Samuel 23, verses 9 and 10. So if you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn there. Um, and I'll give you some time to do that because we're not going to jump in just yet. Um, and, and if you don't, that's okay because the, the, the Scriptures will be up on the screen when we get there uh, in, in a moment. So before we drill down, though, on those verses, I want to kind of zoom out a little bit first. And I want us to get a little bit of a bigger picture of what might be happening here. You see, Saul slept in the palace while David and his men slept in the cave. Saul's army was well equipped. David's army, not so much. Remember Benaiah had to steal the Egyptians' spear to chase down that 500-pound lion? He had to steal his weapon. It wasn't provided for him. And Saul's army, and they ate well. They ate at like Russell's Steakhouse at the palace every night. And David and his fighters and warriors, they had to hunt for everything they had. And what I'm saying is that David's army was clearly at a disadvantage. Clearly. Or were they? Or were they? You see, they had to work harder. They had to grow stronger, get smarter, in order to compensate for these perceived disadvantages. So before I say what I'm going to say right now, I just want to kind of preface it by saying, for all of you pet owners out there, I, I mean no slight to any of you, okay? But it is a fact that wild animals have a, by 15 to 30%, a larger brain than those domesticated animals. Isn't that amazing? You think the domesticated animals, you know, they're all taken care of, they'd be healthier, They'd be getting that organic food. You know, the, the, the wild animals, they are tougher. They work harder. They're smarter. 
They're better fit because of their disadvantage, which creates an advantage because they have to compensate. So I believe Adler was right. I believe Adler was right. So my question for you is, how do you see that in your life? Or are you looking at what you might perceive as a disadvantage for you and think, oh, well, I just have a disadvantage. I believe this series, Chase the Lion, is going to inspire you to think a little bit differently. It's going to inject a little bit of motivation in you to turn that thought upside down. And that might allow you to be put in a position to receive God's favor and God's anointing. Amen? I believe this is how God makes heroes. For Benaiah, it was a 500-pound lion. For Joshab, it was an 800-man army. For Eleazar... It was standing his ground against the Philistines. Even when the Israelites retreated, he stood there and took them down and held his hand to the sword till his hand froze to it. Wow. That's pretty impressive. That's where we pick up the story. 2 Samuel 23, 9 and 10. So As we read here. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahohite. As one of the three warriors, he was with David. He was with David. Remember that. When they taunted the Philistines, gathered at Pas Daman for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Any of you ever have that happen to you? Wow. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about five ways that we can fight for our dream, just the way that Eleazar did in fighting for David and his dream. Five ways. I believe if you succeed at the wrong thing, you have failed. But if you fail at the right thing, you have succeeded. You have thus failed forward. And so it's going to take that type of attitude to fight for your dream. And David's men... You see, they knew exactly what they were fighting for, to crown David king. And they were willing to give their lives for it. They were willing to die for it. And I don't know about you, but Stephen Covey said, people are so busy climbing the ladder of success, they fail to see that sometimes it is leaning against the wrong wall. Mm. I certainly do not want to get to the end of my life and realize that the ladder I've been climbing on is in the wrong place. That's one reason why recently my wife Kelly and I sold our 3,000 square foot dream home 
for a little three-bedroom, 1,300-square-foot ranch. Because our dreams are not about bricks and mortar. And we are fighting for our dream, our spiritual dream. And I am so proud to be on that journey with my wife and our family. And, and it takes commitment. Our view of success for ourselves is changing. It's becoming aligned with our spiritual dreams. So I think you've got to start by defining success for yourself. I think that you have to have a definition of what success is for you. And for all of us, that might be a little bit different. But for me, I will share with you, success is when those who know you best respect you most. Success for me now is becoming those who know me most, uh, best, respect me most. And so success for me, at the end of the day, is about my family and my home. I want to be famous in my home. Perhaps your definition of success should be that which you are willing to die for. Because I'm willing to die for my family. Eleazar found that out. He figured out what he was willing to die for. You've heard the wise saying, choose your battles wisely. Who hasn't heard of that, right? What I'd like you to do is think about stretching that thought a little further. A little different perspective on it. And rather than choose your battles wisely, I want you to challenge you to think about it this way. You need to figure out what battlefields you're willing to die on. Think about what battlefields you're willing to die on and start living there. Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. That's what Pete said last week. You don't die when your heart stops beating. You die when, when, when you stop skipping a beat in the pursuit of the dream God has put in your heart. Amen? But you got to know what that dream is. You've got to know what that dream is. We have somebody in our congregation that I know that figured out her dream. She knew what her dream was, and she was bold enough in a very humble, broken way almost, a good broken way, she decided one day she was going to quit her job and she was going to harness up on her shoulders her gifts and her talents and shuffle on down to a little restore, retail storefront and open up a, a store called In Spirit Buffalo. Sandy Smart, who actually is with us today in the back, she found her dream. And she chased down that 500-pound lion. And I'm going to tell you, I met Sandy shortly before this, and she was a woman that was lacking confidence, but had amazing talent. Amazing talent. 
And I admire her, man. I admire Sandy Smart because she exemplifies getting up, doing what it takes, sacrificing for her dream. And folks, today, if you haven't had a chance to visit In Spirit Buffalo, I encourage you to go there. There are all kinds of amazing things in that store. Furniture, crafts, signs. Many of them are branded and painted with Scripture. And before she opened that store, she had a prayer dinner the evening before that I was fortunate enough to be a part of. And man, what a, what a spirit-driven event that was. And so I, I'm just so encouraged by that. I had to share that with you this morning because what we're talking about is that. That's what we're talking about. Hashtag in spirit Buffalo. Let's look at the verse. Every one of David's mighty men were willing to take the bullet. Why? They knew clearly what their defined goal was. They wanted to crown David king. They knew exactly what they were going after. And defining success for yourself and for your dream requires faith. You cannot do it without faith. And last week, Pastor Pete got us started on some points of faith that I would like to review and maybe add a little bit to. First, he said that faith is the willingness to look foolish. Then he said faith is the process of unlearning our fears. Now, I've had so many people come up to me and say, John, why would you sell that house? What are you doing? You, you don't need to. Why would? And you would think, man, people are looking at me like I'm foolish. And I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm certain, there were people that said to Sandy Smart in her circles, you are foolish. You're going to give up your job to go on Cleveland Drive and open up a storefront? Really? It requires faith, folks. And then he said, faith is taking the first step before God reveals the next step. And I want to add this on. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Probably the best definition of faith. I don't think we could contend with the Holy Scripture. And if you... I think you've you got to start there with faith. You, You have to start there. Jesus was the epitome of this because the joy that was set before him, he still endured the pain of the cross. And you know what? It wasn't just enduring the pain. We often miss this point with, with this. He also, also scorned the shame. He didn't just endure the cough. Imagine. Folks, I, I don't know how you endure nine-inch nails in your hands and your feet. After being beaten up, dragged, carrying a cross for who knows how far, 
Exactly. And then being up in the air vertical. I don't know who endures that, but not only did he endure it, he scorned the shame. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, he had a dream. Jesus had a dream. He fought for his dream. You know what Jesus' dream was? You! You! And me! We were his dream. We have a hard time receiving that sometimes. Folks, I'm here to tell you this morning. You are Jesus' dream. And he went to greater lengths than any other example we could give for somebody who fought for their dream. Amen? He went to the cross to reconcile you to your heavenly Father, and he was willing to die for it. You see, success was not overthrowing the Roman Empire like the Jews of the time and a lot of the Jewish leaders and religious leaders of the time, you know, they were just dying for Jesus to come in and overtake that Roman Empire that was beating up on them, right? They were like, oh, finally, hallelujah, Jesus is going to take over. We're going to have a new king. Now, he wasn't focused on earthly kings and kingdoms. He was focused on the eternal end game. The dream was your salvation. My salvation. And that meant in order for God to be a just God, someone sinless had to die. And he died. He endured it. Because he knew the joy set before him. He was focused on that. He had a growth mindset. So right out of the gate, you got to define success. you got to define what it is you're willing to die for. That's number one. Defining success for yourself and your dream. Number two, take it one step at a time. Forrest Gump once said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And if that's true for life, then dreams are like puzzles. Many of you know that I have, uh, I have three children, but my youngest is a three-year-old, uh, little, little Jonah, quite a little character. And uh, he loves to sing, but he also loves to do puzzles. And he'll do those puzzles like 25 times over. You know, the little, he started with the six-piece puzzles. He's worked up to the 12-piece. Now he's on like the 24, 36-piece puzzles. Um, and recently, uh, when Kelly and I were preparing to move and packing, you know, we, we pulled out, just getting ready to pack it up, one of our puzzles, a 500-piece puzzle. And uh, guess who found it? And uh, little Jonah came up and said, Daddy, Daddy, can we do this puzzle? Can I do this puzzle? Can I do this puzzle? And I said, no, buddy, you can't do that puzzle. That's an adult puzzle. That's 500 pieces. He said, yeah, but Daddy, Daddy, can I do this puzzle? Can I do this puzzle? Can I do this puzzle? You know, in that three-year-old persistence, next thing you knew, we had 500 pieces spread out over the table, okay? You know, one thing I learned as I was doing that puzzle is a process. And you can't skip any of it. you got to take it one step at a time. 
And you know how it goes, folks. Come on. You know, you spread them out. You got to turn all the pieces over first, right? And then you got to separate the ends from the middles, right? Come on. And then you got to look at the colors and maybe put matching colors with matching colors. I mean, okay, if you only have 50 pieces, maybe not. But if you have 500, 1,000, that's what you got to do. You're not getting around that, right? Who's put the puzzles together without getting around that? Come on, raise your hand. Liars. You got to go through the process, and you got to do it one step at a time. While you're going through that process, don't you pick up the box and look at the picture of the finished piece? Don't you use that as a guide? You see, that picture on that box, that represents your definition of success for yourself and your dream. You got to see that picture and you got to own it and you got to never lose focus of that. That was point number one. And then point number two, take it one step at a time. Take it one step at a time. You need the patience and the work ethic one step at a time to succeed. After all, we had an awesome promo for Financial Peace University, huh? Can we get a hand for that? Folks, I'm telling you, I've been in debt and I've been financially free. And it is night and day, okay? If you're struggling financially, okay, and you're not attending this, you've got nobody to blame. Nobody. Will it be easy? No. No, it will not. Nothing worth achieving comes easy. I encourage you. And in fact, the more financially free that our congregation is, the better position we will be to serve our Lord. The better position you will be to fight for your dream. So I speak against right now all of the financial strangleholds that might exist in this room. But you got to stand up and you got to fight. You want to get equipped? Do what Burke and Lynn did. Do what Jamie and Jill Gorman did. Get serious. Get serious about fighting for your dream. But if you're not financially free, make it a dream of yours to get financially free and start fighting for that dream. That was a little tangent, sorry. I, I, I guess that was the Lord, right? So, after all, to get out of financial, you know, you get out of debt one paycheck at a time. You run a marathon one mile at a time. You get a music scholarship, one rehearsal at a time. You get the game ball, one practice at a time. It takes patience, and it takes work ethic. And I believe that when you accept this, when you accept it and stop fighting that, you begin to enjoy the process and become more easily, you become, more easily the person God wants you to be. My amazing wife, Kelly, is here this morning. And uh, 
I asked it would be all right for me to share a little bit about her and this journey. Because she, for me, exemplifies very, very deeply what it means to fight for something one day at a time. And I can't tell you how much I admire her for how hard she fights for her dreams. So for years now, I have watched her pursue her dream one step at a time. And I'll tell you that she has been a recovering alcoholic for many years now. And back in the beginning days of her recovery, she started attending some program meetings to get help. And after a few meetings, she went up to one of the more senior attendees and asked them, how long do I got to keep coming to these meetings? And the guy looked down at her and said, sweetie, just keep coming until you want to come. You guys get it? Just keep coming until you want to come. Who wants to take anything one step at a time? When you're getting in shape, who wants to run on the treadmill in the early days of getting in shape? And getting out of debt, who wants to take their money and start paying off debt and going without other things that maybe you were used to? It's tough to do the tough things. But you know what she taught me? Is that when you begin doing it and you stick to it, you eventually will want to keep doing it. You will eventually start to enjoy the journey that brings health and freedom and clarity. You have to stick with it one day at a time. And I'm going to tell you, folks, I love this woman for who she's become, what she's demonstrated for me, our family, herself, God, and now God's family. She's an amazing person. So thank you, Kelly. I love you. Number three, get around the right people. Get around the right people. Now let me be clear about something. It's not about us. It is not about us. It's about God's glory. But I believe he is building a resume in you, crafting a story with your life. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that we are his workmanship. I encourage you, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with the verse and if you're, or you're not familiar with the verse, I encourage you to go bask there for about a week and meditate on that verse and pray over that verse and learn what that really, really means. It will take about that much time to drink it all in. That's how awesome that is. We are his workmanship. He's building your network. 
He wants to leverage you for His kingdom purposes. And part of that is getting around the right people. Part of that is defining your success and your dream. And part of that is taking it one step at a time. The scripture says that Eleazar was with David. Eleazar did not become the man he was without being around David. He put himself around the right leaders and the right people so that he could follow a dream. And let me say this. If you're struggling to define success for yourself, if you're struggling to define a dream for yourself, go find somebody and serve their dream. Serve their dream. You will quickly learn where your dream lies. You will quickly start to determine what success means for you through serving someone else's dream. And that's exactly what David's mighty men did. They were serving David's dream of becoming king. They got around the right people. Joshua climbed Mount Sinai with Moses. And then later he ends up taking over for Moses and leading the, the, the Israelites to the promised land. And Ruth, Ruth, what a great story that is. Ruth would not leave her mother-in-law, Naomi's side. And her loyalty, man, it paid dividends for her. She eventually got a second chance at love by marrying Boaz. And get this. Her and Boaz had a little boy named Obed, who had a little boy named Jesse, who had a little boy named David. How about that? A dream within a dream within a dream. David's great-grandmother, all because she put herself around her mother-in-law, Naomi. Teenagers often ask parents and their teachers what they'll be like when they grow up. And I think of one of the strongest answers that I've ever heard to the question is, show me who your friends are and I'll show you where you'll be in 10 years. The people you surround yourself with matter. You can't escape the influence of others around you. So put yourself around the right people. If you are the smartest person in the room, guess what? You're in the wrong room. You're in the wrong room. So if you got a kingdom dream, get yourself around kingdom moving people and can I just say one of the best ways to put yourself around the right people is to get involved and plugged in right here at Life Church get involved we have awesome people here get involved in joining a small group a little bit later on this year we're going to be launching some more small groups get involved
Benjamin Franklin's resume is probably unmatched among our founding fathers. And as I go through some things here, you'll see why. Because he put himself around some of the right people. He followed people who were ahead of him that were successful. He not only signed the Declaration of Independence, he edited it for Thomas Jefferson. He invented the lightning rod. He invented the Franklin stove. He invented bifocals. His periodical, Poor Richard's Almanac, Almanac, is the most widely read periodical in the 18th century America. He started the American Philosophical Society. He served as postmaster to Philadelphia. He was unanimously elected to the sixth president of the Supreme Executive Council of Pennsylvania. And why are you feeling lazy right now? What have you done? Now, a resume like that can't, you know, it, it can seem a little surreal. I left a few notable pieces out of his puzzle, out of his dream. It is not insignificant that Ben Franklin served as a clerk in the Pennsylvania General Assembly for 15 years before he won a seat. He transcribed thousands of speeches before he delivered one. He listened to thousands of debates before he participated in one. He also served for nearly a decade as an apprentice to his brother. Before he published Poor Man's Poor Richard's Almanac, he collected essays from his favorite magazine, The Spectator. Now listen to this. This is kind of crazy. You talk about being committed to fighting for a dream. You talk about holding on to the handle of the sword till your hand freezes on it. Here it is, right here. This is what he would do. He would read and reread The Spectator. He would take notes and then he would hide the originals in a drawer and he would rewrite the spectator. And then he would pull it out and he would compare the originals to what he wrote. And then he would take a list of all of the imperfections and then he would rewrite it and correct them all. And you guys want to do that? <laughs> wow. He certainly put himself around the right people and followed the right people's paths to be able to achieve the things he did with his dream. And what I'm getting at is that fighting for your dream is not easy. It's interesting that it was Franklin who was tabbed as saying, there are no gains without pains. Bam! And it may require you to serve someone else's dream. To be around the right people. Don't wait to find out what your definition of success is. And what your dream is for yourself. Four. Adopt a growth mindset. The book Mindset by Carol Dweck discusses the distinction between two different types of mindsets. The fixed mindset and the growth mindset. 
This is huge for parents and coaches and leaders. Huge. The fixed mindset says that your abilities and qualities are fixed. You are who you are. The growth mindset says that with effort, you can grow your abilities and qualities into just about whatever you want them to become. A fixed mindset looks and seeks to validate itself. A growth mindset tries to stretch itself. A fixed mindset is focused on outcomes. It celebrates once it gets to the desired outcome. A growth mindset focuses on inputs. They measure how far they've come to gain the energy needed to keep going further. There is no final destination. With a fixed mindset, when you fail, you are a failure. With a growth mindset, when you fail, <laughs> you are that much closer to succeeding. You simply have failed forward. And I don't plan on quoting Nietzsche often, especially in a sermon, but he did say this about perfection. With everything perfect, we do not ask how it came to be. Instead, we rejoice in the present fact as though it came up out of the ground by magic. And I think that's generally true about success. You look at people you admire. You look at their success. Honestly, we want the success that they have, but without the sacrifice. Isn't that true? As though the success has magically just popped up out of the ground for them. You've got to be willing to do what it takes to grow. All growth involves a proportionate amount of pain. No growth comes absent of pain. I remember last year, I approached our lovely Carol McLeod, and she was going through a tough time battling cancer. And my heart's desire was just to encourage her. This woman pours her life out for many of us in this congregation. And it was time for me to give back a little bit. Because I would come in some, during some of these Bible studies and women's conferences and I would steal some of the things that she was doing. Man, they're nuggets. She, she, she's got meat up here when she's talking. I'm like, I want to hear some of that. So I said, you know, I just, I just, my, she's been on my heart. I've been was praying for her. Like, I want to go up and just encourage her. Just encourage her. She looked at me right through me. You know how someone just looks like right through you? with those angelic eyes, and she said, John, I will not waste an ounce of pain. Man. Talk about being humble. I walked away so uplifted and encouraged and humbled. And I was going to her to give her encouragement. Wow. Folks, we have no better example in this room that I know of, of someone who has adopted a growth mindset than our very own Carol McLeod.
Let me tell you something. She has a ministry that is, I can't even tell you. I, I, it's got to be, I don't know what the direct math is on it, but proportionate-wise, it's much, much more massive than this church congregation. Okay? It ministers to millions, literally millions of people through all kinds of avenues that she's created. She is a prominent speaker. She can break down Scripture and teach the Word of God just as well as any of her peers, male or female. She has written books, many books that are all over the globe. She's got devotionals that she's written that are ranked in the top 10 on the planet. She constantly is receiving emails and phone calls from people across the globe that are testifying to the ministry of how inspired they were by her ministry, by her teachings, by her encouragement. She speaks to millions on serious radio. She didn't stop when she got her first book. She kept going. She's got all kinds of trinkets, like little calendars and signs and pens and whatever, you name it. Just encouraging. She puts scripture on everything and lets it go and become living and breathing wherever it is. My wife the other day is a public school teacher, has a teacher that she doesn't know that well come into her classroom, and lo and behold, she's got a Carol McLeod book in her hand. This woman does not know what a fixed mindset is. This woman knows what a growth mindset is. She fails forward and she keeps trudging along. She's got a dream. You know what her dream is? I know what her dream is because she knows what her dream is. Her dream, her dream, and you ain't going to disagree with me on this one, honey. No way. Her dream is to make hell smaller and heaven bigger. Hallelujah, amen. And she executes that every day across the globe. You know what's amazing? You know what's amazing? She didn't even start kicking this dream and start trudging along the dream until she raised five kids. She said, no, my dream is going to be motherhood first. And she raised five wonderful, healthy, amazing kids. In fact, she's got a dream within a dream going on right now. Her, her little Joni is across the planet right now at this very moment serving in India to bring more people to the Lord and to encourage people in the Lord. Hallelujah. Can we just all stand right now, please? Can we all stand? Because i got to tell you, we have a living example in front of us that we ought to salute. So, Carol McLeod, I salute you. We salute you. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Seriously, folks, I'm not here, you know, just to get brownie points with Carol McLeod. But we miss out on some of the things that are going on right in front of us sometimes. 
And when you, I can't, there's no way I can get up here and talk about what a growth mindset is without that. Are you kidding me? You've got to be willing to be grateful for where you're at, but not satisfied as to where you've arrived. That's a growth mindset. And so I believe fighting for your dream requires adopting a growth mindset. Just remember, growth does not come easy. It's about that intrinsic motivation that is not some self-help, hey, let's go work harder. No. Don't misunderstand me. It's with the Holy Spirit's help. It's a stewardship issue is really what it is. Adopting a growth mindset ultimately is a stewardship issue. So, Carol, thank you for being an awesome steward. Now, as we review these points, we're going to get to point five, but let me just review for you what we've discussed so far. Number one, defining success for yourself and your dream. Number two, take things one step at a time. Number three, surround yourself with the right people. Number four, adopt a growth mindset. And number five, fight until your hand freezes to the sword. I believe that if you're willing to fight for your dream to the point of your hand freezing to the sword, you will achieve great things. It's not about the dog in the fight. It's about the fight in the dog. So as we look at this scripture, I think of the commitment that Leonard Cohen made when he wrote the song Hallelujah. You all familiar with the song Hallelujah? Okay. I mean, this song has been performed and recorded by hundreds of artists. The British music magazine Q named it one of the top ten greatest songs of all time. It is played every Saturday night on the Israeli Defense Forces radio network. Bono said it just might be the greatest song of all time. Ah, magic, right? It just sprung up out of the ground like magic, didn't it? That song? Now, actually it took four years for him to write. Cohen himself said it was pure agony writing that song. He wrote 80 verses for it before he edited it down to the four verses which made it the song it is today. You see, that Eleazar stood his ground. He held that sword and did not let go until his hand froze to the sword. That's commitment. No wonder why Eleazar ended up being one of David's mighty three men. I think that what I'm saying is that I really don't believe in magic, folks. I don't. I believe in God's favor, divine favor. And I think favor is God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And I believe in anointing, God's anointing. God's anointing is a supernatural gifting beyond human ability. It is a supernatural revelation beyond knowledge. It is a supernatural 
power beyond human strength. So believe me, I do believe in favor, and I do believe in anointing. Now this might be tough for some of you to hear, so I want to say it with compassion. You know, when Jesus looked out over the crowds, he looked out over the crowds with compassion. You are my brothers and sisters. I say this with compassion. I don't know that you can ask God for his favor and his anointing to be a part of your success and your dream if you are cheating God on the effort. See, I don't think your dreams come true without effort. They require in the background lots of prayer, lots of work ethic, lots of motivation, with a willing heart ready to battle and willing to die for what you want. I don't believe destiny finds you. I believe you find your destiny. Fight for your dream. God has given you time talent, and treasure. Let me put it this way. Potential, which God has given you, is God's gift to you. But what you do with it is your gift to God. In 1992, there was a film called Far and Away. A young Irish man named Joseph Donnelly, if you're familiar with it, is played by Tom Cruise, in which Donnelly is facing property eviction after his father's death, and his landlord's daughter, Shannon Christie, who's played by Nicole Kidman, they, they kind of run off, and they head to the U.S. out of Ireland to, to, to run, really, essentially, from their problems and, and seek a new dream. And through some battles and whatnot, they, they start to attain their own dream. And their dream was getting involved in the movement westward so that they can get some free land for themselves. They got involved with the Oklahoma land race in 1893. Joseph Donnelly stakes out his ground and claims his destiny. That was somebody committed to fighting for his dream. Joseph Donnelly knew what his dream was. He knew that he had to go take it. He punches a horse in the face. Wow. Eleazar staked his ground on the battlefield against the Philistines all the way to the point in the face of the Israelites returning till his hand froze to the sword. Powerful. 2,000 years ago, Jesus staked his claim too. He claimed you. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? Three days later, he walked out of the tomb and said, let's do this thing. He was motivated. 
Now, I know we live in a volatile political times, and you just came through a very contentious election. But 2,000 years ago, we had the Roman Empire. And if you had to put all bets on it, the Roman Empire versus 120 scared peeps hidden away in an upper room, you take the Roman Empire every time, a thousand times out of time, a thousand. But today, there's no Roman Empire. But there are billions of people across the globe who bow their knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Christ will, will be done. His kingdom will come. The true question is, are you in the game? Are you in the game? Now, I know it's easy to sit and listen. Run to the roar. Chase that 500-pound lion. Fight till your hand freezes to the sword. But you, you know, you can't finish out those last two reps, right? <laughs> I understand we get tired. We have bad days. I just believe that in the end, folks, we have been given a command to charge. We've given a command to play some offense. And I believe the time is right to find your dream, to work it one step at a time, to put yourself around the right people, to adopt a growth mindset, and then go fight until your hand freezes to that dream. You will find God's favor, just like Eleazar did and Benaiah did. You will find God's anointing. But you got to put forth the effort. And I know it's hard. Play some offense like Carol has in her life. Talk about offense. I don't know what your dream is, and I don't know what you face and what your 500-pound lion is, and I don't know what your 500-step puzzle is, but I want to commission you today. You're going to have to fight for it. You may have to fight for your marriage. Charge your marriage. You're going to have to fight for your kids. Charge your kids. Disciple them as God has called you to do. And I know that addiction, man, that is, that bad habit is something tough to overcome. But you need to charge it. You need to charge it. You need to stand up and charge it. Play offense. Lastly, I want to inspire you somehow, some way, to charge Jesus. He charged you.
God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And perhaps you are here today and you've never accepted Jesus. Perhaps it's time in your life to rededicate your life to Jesus and find a dream. It, it doesn't take much to get started. It's just a simple prayer. In fact, who am I to get in the way? So can we just all bow our heads and close our eyes? Let's all be committed to that. Let's be fair to everyone else around us. Please, just bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're that person that wants to rededicate their lives, or if you don't know Jesus and you want to, repeat after me in your heart with heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I need you. Please come into my heart. I want you to reign in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for welcoming me me and wrapping your arms around me. I put my trust in you. Come on now. Those of you who are struggling right now with this, take a step of faith. Be willing to be to look foolish. Do it. With heads bowed and eyes closed.